In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Dear Reverend Father, dear brothers and seminarians, dear faithful, the whole of today's Mass for this fourth Sunday after Pentecost, from start to finish, from introit to post-communion, emphasizes to us that we are creatures, that we depend entirely upon God. That's why the introit says that all of our light and safety comes from God. The offertory says that we are dead without the light of God. The epistle says that all of creation is groaning, waiting for the glory that comes from God. The communion says that God is our foundation, our refuge, our strength, our liberator. The gospel has the story of these fishermen who on their own labor are able to catch nothing, but with the help of God, they are able to take in this immense haul of fish, and so on. The entire theme, as they say, of the propers of this Mass emphasize our dependence, our utter dependence upon God as His creatures. And really, I think if we could sum up all of the problems that our world experiences today, we could say simply that they come from a refusal of human beings to be children of God. People today don't want to acknowledge that they are creatures, though it's an obvious fact. Society does not want to acknowledge that it is a creature. Nations, secular democracies, do not want to acknowledge that they are creatures. And really, only when peoples, societies, and nations are willing to once more acknowledge that they receive everything, absolutely everything from God, can our human race be healed from the sickness which it experiences today. I think we as Catholics, because we breathe in the air of the environment of this world in the 21st century, we really have to be continually on our guard that we not be corrupted by this spirit of independence from God that characterizes our world. We have to examine ourselves on a regular basis, whether we are living as creatures or whether we are living as if we were gods, as if, in fact, we have all power and we are uncreated. In short, it's important for us to make sure that we as Catholics have a spirit of religious dependence upon God. This is really the fundamental aspect of our relationship with God. It's the fundamental aspect of all religion, our willingness to acknowledge the basic truth that it is God who is our creator, it is God who is our father, it is God to whom we owe absolutely everything. Archbishop Lefebvre, he even goes so far as to say that holiness is dependence on our Lord Jesus Christ. The very essence of holiness is recognizing this dependence and living this dependence that we have on God. The Archbishop, he spoke those words when he was giving a recollection to his priest in Paris in November of 1984. And the entire subject of the recollection that he gave was this religious dependence that I'm speaking about. And today in the sermon, I do not want so much to speak myself as I wish to 
uh, impart to you these words uh, and the spirit behind the words that the Archbishop pronounced on that occasion. The Archbishop was especially, because he was speaking to his priest, he was especially concerned that his priest manifest this spirit of dependence upon God in their apostolate. And so I think it's important that the seminarians um, be familiar with these words of his. But there's these words also, even though he was speaking to priests, these words also certainly have an application to the faithful in the decisions that they make in their lives and for their families. So the Archbishop, he begins by noting the particular blindness that we have while we are on this earth. We don't realize that we depend on God for everything. We seem to think, we seem to have the impression that we actually can do things on our own. Somehow that we are autonomous to, from God in some respects. But in reality, of course, we are being held in existence every moment by God. God, right this moment, is willing us to exist. And if he didn't do that, we would just sort of fade back into nothingness. Every single breath that we take is taken in dependence upon God. And the fact is that we cannot realize this fully in our life. We can think about it as much as we want, but we will never really fully come to terms with this total dependence that we have on God. It's almost like it's too big for us. Our littleness is too big for us to grasp. And so we're always going to suffer from a certain illusion, a certain mental deceit by which we are convinced of our autonomy. And then one day we will die and we will come face to face with God himself. And that's when things will click. That's when we will fully realize that he is truly the source of everything for us. This is how the Archbishop puts it. He says, I think that what is going to strike us most at the moment of our death is our dependence on God. We are going to say to ourselves, I did not know I was so dependent on God that everything depended on our Lord Jesus Christ for my salvation. I did not realize. Now I am discovering the reality. And then we will regret not having spent our life <coughs> in that total dependence dependence on God, and that total dependence on our Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation and the salvation of souls. So the best thing for us to do right now in this life, while we have time, once we realize that we are in a certain illusion about our dependence, is that we try to take steps so that we can live our dependence more fully. Once we realize intellectually this is correct. I am totally dependent upon God. We must try to act more as if we are actually his children, as if we really do receive everything from him. So how do we do this? Well, as I say, the archbishop was really focused on the apostolic activity of his priest. <coughs> and he wants to emphasize to these priests that they must be sure that everything they do in their apostolate is the will of God. They investigate and they determine whether or not this or that that they want to do is the will of God. And he points out 
to these priests that there are really two mistakes that they can make in this regard. The first mistake is when the priest goes faster than divine providence. He anticipates divine, divine providence without actually looking into divine providence. The priest launches into a project or an activity with, without first even asking whether God wants it or not. He doesn't even get to the stage of seeking to know whether it's the will of God. Here's what the Archbishop says. He says, I think that there is a great danger in wanting to go faster than providence, in saying, well now, I'm going to do this. I absolutely have to do that. So I throw myself into it head first with all my zeal in order to make it happen. I do not say to myself enough, does God want it? Does he want it at this moment? Does he want it in this way, at that speed? Would he not want me to reflect a little more? Or else did I wait a little longer so that his will might be accomplished more than my own? Because if I do my own will, I run the risk of not doing God's will. Then afterwards, I should not be surprised if the will of God has not been accomplished as well as I would have liked. So, the first danger that the Archbishop points out is a certain naturalism, doing things automatically without even thinking about whether God wants them or not. And so the Archbishop warns his priests that in all of their enthusiasm that they have to convert souls, there can be a great deal of purely natural zeal. And so they have to be careful. They have to make sure they're working on the supernatural plane. They have to make sure they investigate the will of God before they act. The second danger is more subtle. It involves a situation where a priest is looking to do the will of God. He actually is consulting the will of God, but he's consulting the will of God in the wrong way. He has the wrong criterion by judging what the will of God is. The priest assumes that because he's been ordained a priest, and so he's been anointed from on high in this role to do the work of God, therefore, everything that he wants necessarily is the will of God. Just by the fact that he's attracted to it, it's going to be the will of God. And the Archbishop refers to this as the subjective will of God, as distinguished from the objective will of God. So this subjectivism in the apostolate happens when a priest confuses his will with the will of God. Such a priest only uses that one criterion for determining God's will. He asks himself, do I want it? Do I want to do this? Do I want to do that? Does it attract me? And if the answer is yes, he concludes, well, God must want it. If I want it, God wants it. So this is his way of discerning the will of God. Is, is my will there? Then God's will is there. So this priest, this type of priest, judges wrongly. He has got the wrong judgment to determine the will of God. And as a consequence, he does not live in dependence on God. Um, he rather follows his own will. He's doing his own thing. He's not doing God's thing. He does not serve God. He serves his own desires. 
And I don't have to tell you what the fruits of such an apostolate will be. What will be the fruits of such a priest? They will be bad fruits because they will be personal fruits. He will lead people to himself. He will not lead people to God. He will not be another Christ. He will just be another man. He will lead people to promote his own cause rather than the cause of God. And perhaps the most dangerous aspect of the second danger is the fact that the priest will be convinced that he's doing the will of God. He will say, I investigated the will of God and I determined the will of God. And so he will charge ahead full speed with, with the conviction that he is certainly acting on the supernatural level. He's certainly doing the will of God. He will think that he's serving someone other than himself when in fact he will only be serving himself. And this is the disaster that arrives when our judgment is skewed, when our method for determining reality is wrong. So the Archbishop emphasizes to his priests in the course of the recollection that they must look for the objective will of God, not the subjective will. And the objective will of God is not determined by consulting our own desires. We don't ask, what do I want, in order to find the objective will of God. It's rather determined by consulting the desires of others. And the objective will of God is not determined by looking within ourselves, it's determined by looking outside of ourselves. So there are two main objective criteria that need to be consulted for us to be able to say that something is the will of God. The first criterion is the will of our superior, and the second one is God's arrangement of the circumstances. Sort of, we look at the events, what happens, um, if they're pointing in a certain direction. Once um, our superior has given his approval, and things seem to be falling in place in a providential way, we can conclude that it's the will of God. So the Archbishop provides an example as follows. He says, people ask you to open a chapel in such and such a place where there are many faithful. You are already overworked. But then circumstances arise showing you a few possible vocations. And then your superior comes and he says, that could be very good. Little by little, the objective circumstances beyond your own will and nearly against your will are truly pushing you to do something in that domain. So in the end, you make the decision to open the chapel. What you do is going to be blessed by God because it was not your personal will at the origin of the decision. It truly is God who showed you objectively his will and even if your health has to suffer, well then, God will give you health. Have confidence. Since it is truly God who is asking you to do it, he will give you the means. And I don't think I have to remind you that this is exactly the way in which the Archbishop established the Society of St. Pius X, almost against his will. People were pushing him to do it. And he said, slow down, slow down. I need, I need to look into, into the circumstances. I, I, I'm too old to do this. He was giving all these excuses. 
And then finally, he asked the approval of the local superior, the local bishop. He got the, the bishop's approval, and everything fell in place. And he was convinced because of that, that he had discerned the objective will of God, and so it was God's will for him to start the Society of St. Pius X. Now sometimes in the seminary, the seminarians don't realize that they're actually being trained to seek out the objective will of God. And that, that, that this uh, training is a major part of their formation. It's one of the most important parts of your formation to learn the habit of seeking out the objective will of God. That's the reason for all these permissions that have to be obtained. Um, seminarians have to consult the rector or the spiritual director about their holidays, about their spiritual reading, about how they should use their study time, about so many of, of these things. And this is not because uh, the spiritual director is on a power trip, he just loves to exercise authority. Um, it's not, this, it's not a, a mere formality, it's not some sort of external ritual that we perform in order to, be, to, to say, oh, you know, I had a traditional formation because I had to ask permission for everything. Um, but really, it's a question of living the fact that we are dependent creatures, that we need to consult, consult the will of God in all that we do, and that consulting the will of God is different from consulting ourselves. And the primary thing that we hope for as, as professors here at the seminary, as, as the ones who charge with forming the seminarians, the primary thing that we hope for that, that is that when a seminarian is ordained a priest and he goes out into the world to save souls, that he will do the will of God. That in all of his activities, he will be doing the will of God and not his own will. But for him to be able to do the will of God, he has to know how to find the will of God. And to find the will of God, he has to develop the habit, this habit of consulting his superior, of judging what God wants of him on the basis of what the superior says and how things turn out, not on the basis of his own desires. And ultimately, we're not just wanting for our future priests to have this spirit of dependence. We want everyone to have this spirit of dependence. We want all Catholics to have this spirit of dependence. We want all Catholics to have this ability to make a prudential judgment in their life as to what is the objective will of God for them. And so the seminarians have to understand that part of their future mission will be to form the spirit of the faithful to provide them this same spirit of dependence on God that hopefully they have received at the seminary. In other words, they're meant to develop this spirit at the seminary, not only so that they can have it themselves, but also so that they can communicate it to you faithful. This is precisely what the Archbishop said to his priest back in 1984. Here's what he said. We have to be in God's dependence. And the goal of our apostolate will be to bring families into that same dependence. We are going to be teaching souls that dependence on God, that dependence on our Lord Jesus Christ. We have to possess 
that spirit of dependence, religious dependence in ourselves as, as priests. And we have to teach the faithful how to live that religious dependence. And that's, in a sense, the essence of our formation of the faithful, to teach them how to do religion. And this is why priests are always slowing people down in their decisions. Say a young woman wants to get married, and she comes to the priest, and the priest says, have you consulted your family? Have you prayed about it? Have you considered deeply whether this young man has the qualifications of a proper husband? Or perhaps a family is upset. Something's happened at the Catholic school where their children go to school and they want to remove the children from the school. And the priest says, slow down. Let's reflect about this. Have you considered the impact on your child? Have you spoken to others about your decision? Have you considered how this decision will affect your long-term future? We, we need to make sure that we go through the proper steps of consulting others who are wise, um, of, of looking at the circumstances, of praying about it, so that we do not simply follow our own desires as the people of the world do. So the hope is that the faithful will slowly but surely themselves learn the same supernatural habits that the priests were taught at the seminary in which hopefully they are living. In the end, it's so important for all of us that we desire greatly to do the will of God. We are all objectively in a state of total dependence on God as our creator and our redeemer. But there are so many things that keep us from living according to God's plan for us, especially our haste and making decisions, our tendency to give ourselves over to our passions, our failure to, to look for the objective will of God rather than just looking for what we want. And the last thing we want to happen is that we come to the end of our days in this life and we realize that we have followed much more our own will than followed the will of God. That's the last thing that we want to happen. And so we must try to practice this very careful discernment of the will of God, this very careful objective judgment as to what God wants. And so to, to foster this spirit of dependence, we must have a great recourse to Our Lady, the Blessed Virgin Mary, because of the fact that for us creatures, she who was a creature was a very model of this dependence of a creature on her creator. The Archbishop says in this exact same conference, he says that she had the attitude of dependence almost by nature, since she did not have original sin. She did not so much have this temptation to make ourselves autonomous from God, to reject this reality of us being dependent upon God. So let us go to her with a great confidence. Let us ask her to teach us how to imitate her, to, to teach us how to say with her help to God, those words that she pronounced, Behold the servant of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.